You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Knock, knock. Who's there? Opening day. Opening day who? Opening day for bow hunting season. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I am completely excited um, about the month of October. A lot of things are going to happen in the month of October. And as you listen to this, if you're listening to this Wednesday, September 30th, that means that I am somewhere from my home to where I'm going to hunt, whether I'm in Iowa or South Dakota somewhere, I am on my way to a South Dakota mule deer hunt. And I I went on this hunt last year with a good buddy and due to the dumb coronavirus and how this whole thing's played out, I'm having to go on a solo mission this year. I really wish uh, he could be with me, but unfortunately it's not in the cards this year. So we're running a solo mission this year and uh, me and old Betty, old faithful, my truck, we're going to be back country wrangling some mule deer and uh, I couldn't be any more excited about it. The only thing is, is as my kids get older and they start to ask more questions, I have this little... A feeling of guilt come over me a couple days before and even the first day of the hunt because I feel I have this really strong connection to my family. It, it just keeps pulling me towards my family. But at the same time, I have this really strong connection and this gravitational pull to go and do things in the outdoors, whether it's uh, an elk hunt or a, a backpacking uh, trip or, or something out west and these two things pull each other constantly and I find myself having to balance all of this lifestyle that uh, I've kind of chosen to live and it really honestly it's been getting harder and harder to leave my family on some of these trips but also like I said I got this pull almost like uh, what's that movie if you build it they will come if you build it they will come there's there's this voice that is telling me head west or head to the woods or head to wherever you need to head to get your fix right and um, again 
I don't, it's hard to explain. It's just a feeling that I get this time of year. But I'm on the road. I'm heading to South Dakota, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. Today's episode features Justin Czar from bowhunting.com. Now, you probably have heard Justin on this podcast before if you're a longtime listener, but uh, this is a good old-fashioned BS session where he recaps some Western hunts. He recaps some how his elk hunt got canceled, and he just kind of had to flip the switch to whitetails in Nebraska. He talks about uh, deer hunting in Illinois, and then it's a good old-fashioned BS session, man. Uh, you've you've heard the BS sessions before, so you know it's just a shoot-from-the-hip episode, and I love doing them. So Justin Zarr is always a good guest. I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we get into today's podcast, we have to do a commercial, and that commercial is Ozonics. Now, you guys have heard me talk about the functionality behind Ozonics and ozone, right? And how ozone works and how ozone destroys uh, scent and disfigures your scent profile to the point where downwind, a buck's a buck or a deer will get confused of what they're actually smelling, right? And different deer have different reactions to it. Some may spook, some may uh, get curious and come closer to the stand, but they can never really peg what it is that is causing that scent, right? It's, it's, it disrupts your scent profile is what I say. And I've had a lot of good experiences with it so much that it's probably mandatory on whitetail hunting, right? It, it is a mandatory tool or a piece of equipment that I take with me all the time because I feel like it does you know so many wonderful things while in the tree stand uh, downwind and it, like it protects my backside so to speak now outside of the woods outside of the tree stand outside of the ground blind I am using that to cleanse my clothing in the dry wash bag and the new locker that Ozonics has and I'm telling you right now that that functionality does just as is, is just as important in my opinion than it is in the tree I feel like my access routes when I'm walking in and I've, I've done a dry wash um, cycle uh, with the ozone, my Ozonics has cleansed my clothes and I feel just, I feel fresh. And there's certain times, depending on what the thermals are doing and what the wind is doing, I almost feel invisible in the woods. And that is a God's honest truth. That is a, an awesome feeling when you know that your scent regimen is on point, uh, especially, you know, with Ozonics. Now, a lot of people will say, oh my God, it's so expensive. We'll plan for it, right? I'm not going to say it's not expensive uh, and that's relative depending on who you are. But if that's your only issue with it, is that it's so expensive, then what I would recommend is going and borrowing one from a buddy, go get your moment that you need with it and then start saving money and buying it. And I'm telling you right now, it's worth it. So that's me and my opinion. Uh, as you know, they pay me to promote their product, but I've been using this before uh, I've been promoting their product. So uh, good people who work there, they're passionate about the outdoors or passionate about hunting. And I love working with companies that are passionate about the products and the lifestyle that they market to. So uh, if you want to find out more information about Ozonics, visit ozonicshunting.com. And if you decide to purchase a unit, go online, uh, ozonicshunting.com, purchase your unit, and at, at checkout, enter the discount code NFC 
1-9, and you will receive a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units. So NFC 1-9, go check them out. We are done talking, done with the intro. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation RSS feeds. Lots of great content. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast because I, uh, I, I really want you to. <laughs> Go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. And I think I'm done now. Now I'm done. Let's get into today's BS episode with Justin Czar. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me right now at this very moment, Mr. Justin Czar. Justin, it's good to hear your voice, man. Dan, it's been too long, my friend. I know. Glad glad to be here today. So I'm going to kick this episode off with kind of a funny story. Um, oh, boy. It's, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad for the most part. I watch my kid while my wife works, whether she works from home or whether she's working from, uh, you know, the office. I'm in charge until like 5 or 5.30, and then I can start my job. Well, my wife goes to a grocery store that we have in, in Iowa called Hy-Vee, and Hy-Vee has these special energy drinks. They're like five calories, and they got a little bit of caffeine in them, and they're they're you know, there's not a lot of taste in, in them cause there's no sugar, but you know, it's fruity and whatever. So I have, a, I have like three of those a day. Well, <laughs> does this thing have a, does it have a brand name or is it just called, it's like, like high V energy drink? No, <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's like bubble. It's like, I don't know why, but I think of buble. Michael buble, Michael buble, but it's not, I don't, I think it's called like bubbly or something. It's like a, uh, carbonated water, whatever. Well, I'm busy. Like, you know, I got my kid running around. I got this, uh, construction going on in my house because we're remodeling and I'm just not like, I'm not thinking I'm all I'm doing is reacting to my son trying to play with a nail gun or whatever. So I just grab one of these quote unquote energy drinks and crack it up, you know, have a sip. And, you know, I'm like, man, this tastes a little different. Oh, well, like you keep going. You know, and then, you know, later I go, I crack another one, keep going. Later I got go and I crack another one, probably about an hour and a half between each one. Nothing serious. And I'm just like, man, I'm kind of tired. And I look down finally, and I'm, I've been drinking White Claws since 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That sounds like a great day to me, buddy. <laughs> so here I am like judging people who drink before five o'clock. And here I am like, I'm, I'm, I don't even know it. I've had three White Claws. <laughs> before four o'clock and my wife my wife finally is like man do you like those things i'm just like oh no i don't <laughs> so oh yes you do yeah i am not ashamed to say i i enjoy a good white claw yeah when i went uh we went antelope hunting this year out in wyoming and my buddy scott with hha scott pocket he went him and i went with we drove out together hunted and uh, we drank an awful lot of White Claws while we were out in, in Wyoming. And, like, the first night we were in camp, like, some other dude uh, was there in camp with us. And we are sitting around just eating dinner and just kind of, you know, BSing at hunting camp. And Scott and I are drinking White Claws. And, like, if you've met Scott, like, like he's, he's pretty jacked, full of tattoos, long hair. He kind of looks like Macho Man. And he's, uh, he's drinking a White Claw. And this guy's like, I can't believe you're drinking a White Claw. And Scott, did, I'll leave out some of the profanity, was like, 
I don't care what you think. I like white claws, and if you don't like it, like kiss my ass. Yeah, (laughs) but I think that story would have been funny if I ended up uh, just like, oh, and the next thing you know, I was, I thought I was drinking this energy drink, but I was drinking Bud Heavy. Uh, or or Bush Light. How Bush come, Light. I have a question for you. Why yeah. is Bush Light like the de facto standard for like all outdoorsmen and people who hunt all of a sudden? It's like everybody drinks Bush Light. And I was like, I, I don't know when this happened. Like when was the point in time at which everybody started drinking Bush Light? Because yeah. when I was a younger man, like college days, like we drank Bush Light because it was cheap. And yeah. that's all we could afford. Like, right. we're going to drink crappy beer because this is all we can afford. Bush Light, ha, ha, ha. And then we, like, grew up and became adults and got real jobs and could afford better beer, so we no longer drank Bush Light. But now I go places, and everybody's drinking Bush Light. Like, it's some sort of badge of honor. Like, yeah. well, you, you're you an outdoorsy guy. Do you have a beard? You better drink Bush Light. Yeah. Like, holy, yeah. when did this happen? Like, I, I, just, I just don't know. It's a very strange thing to me. It's the... It's the I drink shitty beer to be cool type crowd, mm. right? I'll, I'll tell you a this. Lot of like, them out there, dude. Oh, man. It, I mean, and it's hilarious. I don't, I don't mind Bush Light. Like, it's not god awful. I'll drink it, but it certainly isn't like my first choice right. when I go to grab a beer. Right. Here's what I, when I drink Bush Light, okay, so obviously if I'm going to be tailgating or if I'm going to be uh, doing things throughout the entire day. And I know I'm going to be drinking throughout the entire day. <laughs> then I drink Bush light or Coors light. Cause you can drink a lot of them. I mean, sure. I, you know, there's, you can drink a 12 pack in a day or whatever. <laughs> I mean, this, this, I don't know what is acceptable. It's been a long time since I've drank 12 beers in a day, but, <laughs> but it's like, you know, if I'm just sitting down, you know, I'm gonna drink something a lot heavier than than a bush light but if i'm gonna be out mowing the yard doing yard work or you know drinking doing something it's an all-day activity then i'll drink something that i can you know hey i'm gonna drink some beer but i'm not gonna get drunk doing it fair enough so i don't know bush light is the go-to yeah i mean my very the ones that have like the corn can you're like support the farmers drink the one that looks like a Olive corn. My, God, uh, man, I don't know. Good for Bush Lights marketing people. Right. Good on them for like making everybody want to drink their crappy beer. Right. It's cool. I mean, it's it is literally the same marketing mentality that it goes into the hunting industry. You're not cool unless you use this product. Absolutely. So it works, right? So good for them. And I, I can actually remember the first Bush Light I ever had. Uh, uh, we were out at my buddy's uh, farm, and his dad had like three thirty packs of Bushlight just kind of stacked in a corner in this dirt floor barn. And uh, so we're like, "Man, you think he'll notice if we take one?" And we're like thirteen or fourteen years old, <laughs> right? And it was warm, and it tasted w- weird. And I was just like, "Oh man, this—I don't know if I like this stuff." And uh, you know, we we shared this lukewarm can, and and then. Uh, Next thing you know, I think I might hold the record for drinking Bush Lights. <laughs> so. You would think that if your first experience with beer was a warm Bush Light, that like you would never drink beer again. <laughs> like, if I, like if I wanted to like make sure my kid was not going to be like a beer drinking alcoholic, I'd right. be like, here, drink this warm Bush Light. Right. 
because I know you won't like it. Right. But apparently, that's not the way to go. I guess not. All right. Justin Czar, how are you? You know, surviving, man, yeah. like the rest of the world. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a hell of a weird-ass year, I'll say that. Yeah. Man, and I know a lot's probably gone on since the last time we talked, but I, I kind of want to get into a recent event that kind of happened to you. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you were driving on your way to an elk camp or an elk hunt when somebody tested positive for the COVID and then shit hit the fan or break this, break this yeah. story down for us. Yeah. Uh, so Todd Graff and myself and uh, a kid that's interning for us, Nick, were driving out to Colorado to go on an outfitted elk hunt. So private ranch. And it's a, a, a ranch that's in the, what's called the Ranching for Wildlife program in Colorado. So they're like special tags. So it's not like, even like we could go somewhere else. So Todd's been out there a couple times. Then there was a few other people. Um, tons of elk, good success rates and opportunity. And so we decided to like, Todd and I don't hunt together much. And honestly, like, dude, I haven't been on an elk hunt in 10 years. So we decided like, hey, man, we're, we're what is it, 2020? Like, dude, I just turned 40 our 12th year doing this like let's go do something like bigger than just like uh you know deer hunting together at his farm so we decided to go on this elk hunt one of our team members josh Durgel, was going to fly in from tennessee and meet us there along with uh, a friend or a business partner of his so there was going to be a whole group of us going to camp i think it was like a day or two before we went out there um we got wind that like maybe one person was like not feeling good or something possibly had it like it wasn't like it wasn't presented to us as like a major deal like it was under control we got one guy that might have been sick type of deal so this was last week monday uh me and todd and and nick met at todd's house like super early in the morning todd's got a little uh rv it's kind of like a sprinter van that's like got a big rv back on it right so we were going to drive that thing out there we, we hooked up the enclosed trailer. We threw all of our gear, bows, coolers, everything in, and, dude, we hit the road. And we were probably six hours into the drive. I think we were right about the border of Iowa and Nebraska. And uh, sure enough, we get a call from the, the outfitter that we're going with, and he's like, hey, dude, we got a problem. He's like, so turns out that one of the guys that was in camp last week uh, was not feeling well. Knew he wasn't feeling well when he came to camp, but of course he didn't think anything was wrong, just a cold or whatever. Um, ends up testing positive for COVID and basically, for all intents and purposes, like got everybody else sick. Jesus. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe that there was like eight or nine guys in camp hunting the prior week, and I think like six of them that we knew of had tested positive at that point for COVID. Jesus. And like two of them had left to go home because they weren't feeling well. One of the guides tested positive. The other three guides, like, weren't feeling well. So they basically just said, like, we're shutting the entire camp down. And rightfully so. Like, everybody was sick. We're shutting the whole camp down. Everybody needs to quarantine for a couple weeks. And, like, we ultimately, like, as an outfitter, they need to get their guys healthy and they need to clean everything because, dude, they still got two months of hunting in front of them. Right. Right? I mean, they got all of rifle season and mule deer and everything else that they do. So basically our elk trip, like – they gave us the opportunity of like, Hey, if you guys want to come out, like we'll give you your tags and you guys can just go wild on the place on your own. But it, I was like, dude, 
we have no elk calls. Like, not that we couldn't stop and buy some, but like, I did not prepare myself to go out and try to kill an elk. <laughs> I was more or less prepared of like tagging along with a guide on an outfitted hunt and trying to go kill an elk. Yeah. And I was like, man, you know, these hunts are not cheap. And I was like, for the amount of money we paid, like, I don't want to go on a DIY hunt. Like, sorry, like, maybe if you give us all of our money back or half of it or whatever, like, then maybe. But the other problem was, like, the ranch that we're on, like, a lot of it, like, you're you're driving four-wheel drive trucks or UTVs to where you need to go, and then you're getting out and hunting from there. Well, dude, we're in Todd's RV. Like, we're not driving this thing anywhere. Yeah. Like, this is just a disaster. So, you know, we were in, I think we were in, like, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and we're sitting on the side of the road at, like, a rest area trying to figure out what to do. And Todd's like, well, screw it. We got the trailer. We got all of our hunting equipment with us. Like, what else can we do while we're out here? So I was like, well, dude, we're basically in Nebraska. Tags are over the counter. Like, we could, in theory, like, just go hunt, even if it's just public land in Nebraska for a few days. And, uh, well, Todd was like, don't we, don't we know anybody in, in Nebraska that we can call, like, to take us hunting or whatever, give us a place to go? And, uh, you know, we've got an outfitter that we do some work with that we, we build a website for. It's uh, Heartland Pride Outfitters. Um, the Heartland Bowhunter guys hunt with him a ton, guys from Aussie Oak. Like, he, he's a bunch of people, like, that we know hunt hunt with this dude. We build his website. So we called him. His name's Cody. And we're like, hey, man, we got a, we got a weird question for you. But we're almost in Nebraska, and our hunt got canceled. Like, we're thinking about just, like, deer hunting Nebraska. Do you got anywhere we could go? And he was like, well, yeah. He's like, you know, I've got, you know, a western camp, and you could come hunt mule deer and, and antelope. He's like, or I can I can get you into one of the whitetail camps. You know, there's really nobody there right now. And I had already killed an antelope this year. I was like, I don't feel like going antelope hunting again. Let's let's go deer hunting, right? So uh, he basically, like, snuck us in, called one of his guides, who I think was probably supposed to be off for the week, and was like, hey, I got these this group of dudes that's going to come over there, and they want to go deer hunting. So he basically gave us an address to a, a farmhouse that they use out in the middle of nowhere nebraska and we put it in the gps and off we went you know that's the biggest thing that sucked for us was like we didn't have any of our whitetail stuff with us so we had like no safety harnesses none of our own tree stands or climbing sticks we had no camera arms for the trees like we were prepared to go on an elk hunt yeah you know so we ended up stopping at uh, a cabela's and then ultimately a shield as well because like everybody's just sold out of everything right now so we had to get safety harnesses we picked up a couple extra stands and just like like bow ropes and bow hangers and just like all this crap that we didn't have with us. So we ended up, you know, getting a, a minimal amount of gear as we needed to go chase whitetails for a week. So that's what we ended up doing. We uh, we stayed in Nebraska, South Central Nebraska, and we we deer hunted for a week. Cool, man. Let me ask you this: Are you going to get your money back from that elk hunt? We're going to go next year. Oh, so we okay. basically just Push. we basically just kick the can down the road, yeah, and we'll we'll go next year. All right, cool, man. Well, so uh break down this uh this last minute switch then. So you go and you get uh some gear to whitetail hunt. You 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 finally lock down a piece of property to go hunt. Um Yep. What what was it? I mean, what was your expectations once you knew this? Once once you knew the switch just happened, and your mind has to flip from elk to whitetails, what was right. your expectations of hunting Southern Nebraska? Honestly, dude, I didn't have any expectations. I was just like, oh, well, it beats working for a week, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> right. that was my only thing. I was like, all right, well, who knows what the hell? 
I mean, we were pretty dang close to Kansas. Um, I know Nebraska's got some good deer. Obviously, this guy's got some good ground. Um, so basically, so what ended up happening was we, um, he gave us, you know, GPS directions to the house. We ended up getting there. Um, we stopped and bought all of our food and everything on the way. Uh, the next day, uh, the guy who ended up kind of guiding us, like semi-guiding us, his name's Blake, ended up coming out and just saying, like, hey, we got a bunch of farms in the area. Um, these are the ones that we're running cameras on that we know there's, you know, legit shooter bucks on them. So we're going to start on those farms. Like, there's other farms that we can hunt, but we don't have any intel that there's there's good deer on them right now. Um, and obviously, if most people have ever been to Nebraska or driven through it, it's like a giant cornfield, at least the, the piece that we were in. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just these tiny little creek bottoms and river bottom ground. You know, it's basically cornfields, cattle pastures, or or creek and river bottom ground. That's it. Yeah. You know, so... Um, you know, we kind of just took, uh, you know, Blake's kind of guidance and said, hey, this is the property. These are where the stands are at on the property. Obviously, we know what the wind's doing. Like, you guys can go pick wherever you want to sit. Like, these are the stands that are good for, for that wind. So we kind of started the week doing that. And then once we kind of got the lay of the land and, and you know, they got to know us a little bit more, they gave us a little bit more leeway in terms of, like, us being able to go in and, like, hang our own set and, and do kind of our own thing rather than, like, go to the fully guided thing yeah um which was nice you know because i mean for a lot of people like the fully guided thing is awesome because they don't they just they get stuck in a stand and the guide says this is what the the deer are doing and and we think this is a good spot like for for me like i when it comes to an elk hunt where i don't know what the hell i'm doing like i'm 100 percent cool with a guide saying like hey we're going over here we're gonna call you're gonna sit here like dude i'm all about that just show me where i need to be to shoot one of these things but when it comes to deer hunting like I feel like I know what I'm doing anyway. So I kind of want to have some say in what we're doing. Um, So again, I mean, once they got to know us, because like, dude, most outfitters aren't just going to let guys run rampant on their property. It's just not what they do. Right. They got to worry about, they got liability issues. They've got other hunters. They got to think about later in the year. So they don't want to screw things up. And, you know, so, you know, it took us a few days to kind of build some rapport with them and, and get things, you know, figure each other out and, um, you know, it ended up being an awesome trip, dude. I tell you what, we saw a hell of a lot of deer. We saw some, some really good bucks. Um, I mean, dude, when you think about like, Hey, I want to go on a whitetail hunt somewhere. You don't necessarily think like, I want to go to Nebraska on September 18th. Right. Right. That's, that's not necessarily what people are doing. So it wasn't like it was the best time of the year to hunt, but man, I, I mean, dude, to be completely honest, I was within, 10 or 15 yards of killing what would have been the biggest deer I've ever shot in my life. No shit. On the, on the second night of the trip, yeah. Okay, so let's break some of this down. I, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, we've already talked about the terrain, but while you were there, funny time of year for whitetails, right? It's this this shift, you know, the September shift is what some people call it, um, where, you know, they've just come out of velvet. They're starting to get a little bit more active with the scrapes and, and laying down sign. Um, what were the deer doing out there? A whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Feeding, feeding and feeding. And that was about it. So, you know, when you think early season whitetail hunting, you think September, you know, most people are thinking, green food sources i know that's what i think like yeah. if i want if i'm going on a september hunt like i'm looking for alfalfa i'm looking for green beans i'm looking for clover somewhere um that's green well i'll tell you what in southern nebraska right now there ain't shit that's green 
Yeah. It is brown. Other than the leaves on the cottonwoods, it is brown as can be. It is drier than hell. They haven't had rain in forever. There's little water to be found. Um, so what we ended up, you know, it took a couple of days to really figure out what, what they were doing. Um, but for us, like the key was trying to figure out where these deer were bedded at and get as close to them as possible. So rather than hunting food sources, because the problem is everything is food out there. I mean, there's, there's millions of acres of standing corn right now. And then there's a ton of CRP and grass in these river bottom areas. So like anything that they can't farm ends up kind of just becoming like these pockets of CRP and big grasses and the deer are just living in them. And the problem with that CRP, like as great as it is for seeing deer and holding deer and it's bedding and it's everything else, but like they literally stand up out of their bed and they just feed and they don't have to move. They don't have to go anywhere. So, um, you know, ultimately what it was was trying to hone in on figuring out exactly where the deer were were bedding at and then moving as close to them as possible. Gotcha. So what would, when that uh, that big buck steps out, uh, what was he doing specifically? Where did, he, yeah. He, where did he come yeah, from? Yeah, so, so we were hunting on, uh, like, a, a, I guess you'd call it a river or a creek bottom. I mean, there wasn't any water in it right now, so it was dry. But we were hunting on one of those. We kind of had CRP to both sides of us and uh, kind of off to my left side into the north of where I was, was at was kind of like the CRP was like a, a hill um, that led up to a cornfield. So we were kind of more down in a bottom area. And he appeared at the top of the hill uh, right at the edge of the CRP and the standing corn and the, and the creek line. So there was like a, a really hard pinch because if you've ever been to Kansas or Nebraska, like their creek bottoms are like super washed out, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking, some of them are like 30-foot drop-offs, right? Yep. Like steep, vertical. So there was kind of one of those big drops and there was maybe like a five yard wide swath of grass and then the cornfield started and he kind of appeared at the top of the hill just coming through that little pinch and he showed up at about seven thirty. and out there i think legal light was like eight ten, eight twelve, something like that was was last shooting light so it was about you know 40 minutes before dark he showed up at the top of that hill and we watched him until dark pretty much for all intents and purposes until we lost sight of him we watched him when he first showed up, he was about 120 yards. He got to within about 52 yards. It was the closest he got. But, I mean, he didn't. He moved 100 yards, let's just say, 120 yards in, like, 45 minutes. And just feeding, you know, he'd have his head down for two, three minutes at a time just feeding in the CRP. And then he'd pick it up, stand there, scan around, move two feet, start feeding again. Yeah. So that was all I could really do was watch him. You know, at this time of year, it's like, Number one, I didn't have a deer call with me to begin with. Not sure that I would have called because we were kind of out in the open. And anytime I've ever called to a deer in the open and there's not another deer around, usually don't have very good success, especially on a big, mature, you know, wary whitetail like that. So right. I kind of just watched him and hoped that he would feed close enough for a shot, but just never happened. Yeah. So once you saw him, did you decide to continue after this buck and keep going back to the same area or make any, any adjustments to your stand location to try to get him again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we keyed in on that deer. So this was night two. I want to say we hunted six evenings. This was the second night. So I think the next four evenings in a row, we tried to, to get on him. Um, so that night that we saw him, it was a north wind. So I had the wind pulling in my favor. And I always think this is one of these funny things where people are always like, 
everybody wants to like psychoanalyze these deer. You know, the deer gets up out of his bed, and if the wind's doing this, the buck's going to do that, right? It makes perfect sense to us because we're human beings and we we can reason these things out. But this deer was literally moving with the wind at his back the entire time we saw him. From the direction he came to the direction he was going, the wind was blowing from him to us the entire time. Yeah. So I just, I've always thought it was funny that everybody wants to come up with these theories and systems and like, you know, everybody's creating spreadsheets about (laughs) this deer. I got a trail camera picture of this deer in this place and he was moving this direction and this pressure and, and they think there's some sort of magic formula. Dude, I just think a deer gets up and he's like, I want to go over there and feed tonight because that grass is tasty. So that's where I'm going. Yeah. But anyways, um, I think, I think, I think there's trends. My opinion is I think there's trends, but at the same time for everything, uh, uh, quote unquote, white tail guru will preach. I can provide an example of the opposite of that. Sure. Right. They're so, wild animals yeah. and they're just yeah. like, like my theory has been this, like when a buck gets up out of his bed, let's say it's getting to the end of October. Right. And he gets up out of his bed and he's like, I want to go make a scrape and I want to go start checking a few does. And if the field that he wants to go to that holds the does, the wind isn't right for that field. It's not like he's going to not go there. Right. He's just going to be like, well, fucking it is, it is what it is. And he's going to go there and he might be more cautious. He might be using his other senses because he doesn't have the wind in his favor. Um, but I don't think he's going to just go the other direction. I mean, if deer only walked into the wind or quartered into the wind or whatever today's whitetail expert you know their opinion is like we'd never kill the damn things right um but i mean this 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 deer was absolutely a mature animal i mean he was i don't i have no history i couldn't tell you but i guarantee you this deer was five years old or older probably one of the biggest body deer i've ever seen he had a neck that looked like it was mid-november and not (laughs) mid-september i mean he was every bit of 250 pounds or more on the hoof, huge neck. Um, I, I don't even know what he would score. He had a monster four-point side. And then his other side was like a big non-typical, probably had like an eight-inch base. I mean, it was just monstrous, like a huge like 14-inch flyer coming off. I mean, it was just a ridiculous deer. He still had velvet hanging off of both sides. It almost looked like drop tines. Yeah. Just a, just an awesome an awesome deer. So, yeah, the next couple nights we, we tried to get back on him. You know, that was the only north wind we had of the entire trip. The next day, it switched back to south. In fact, it was like southeast almost the whole time, which people just don't have a lot of stands set up for, for southeast wind. So yeah. we ended up heading, coming in, hunting the north side of the farm the next evening. Uh, we decided to leave the mornings alone on the farm. We were hunting mornings just because we were there, and we may as well. Um, so, But we would go to different farms in the morning, more or less, just trying to maybe shoot a doe or luck into another deer, and we kind of left that that farm alone in the mornings so the next evening we came back south wind uh saw nothing but does and fawns i think that night but we were a couple hundred yards north of where he had come out from so um so i had hunted i think the first three evenings and todd was filming me and then the next three evenings we switched so now it was todd's turn to hunt and i was filming so evening four uh, we, we still had a south wind. We ended up going back to the stand we had sat the night before because we really felt like it was a good stand. It was pretty close to where we thought he was coming from, and we still thought we had an opportunity. Uh, so night four, um, we didn't see any deer at all, not a freaking deer one. And then as we were kind of breaking down our gear and starting to get out of the tree, we look out, we see a different shooter buck. He's probably like a mid-140s eight-pointer. 
Um, and he's kind of coming out of the same general area that the big deer had come out of. Uh, but he's, he's cutting across a, a CRP field, maybe 200 yards in front of us. So we're like, okay, we got two for sure shooters in here. They both came out of the same general vicinity. So we went home that night. We pulled up uh, Hunt Stand is what we're using for an app. We pulled that up, and we sat there with the guide and kind of just showed him, like, what we had seen for movement and just kind of asked him some questions on, like, what other people have seen, what was the history on the property, Do we, what do we think? And we kind of settled on this idea that these bucks were bedded in this little finger of CRP that, at the, that jutted out into standing corn. So standing corn on both sides of it. At the narrowest end, it was like 40 yards across, and at the wider mouth where it kind of met into the, um, into the creek bottom, it was maybe 100 yards across. It was maybe 150 yards wide. It went out in the corn, had almost like a 90-degree bend to it, loaded with CRP, had a couple of little cedars in it, um, but we just had an, a feeling that these bucks were bedded in that stuff. So our plan for the next evening was to try to get in there and essentially – hang a stand somewhere where we could get, get close enough to them and try to kill them, right? right? So it was super, super windy. So Nebraska, Kansas, the dude, it's like it's windy all the time. So it's like 20-mile-an-hour winds that night. So we cut through the standing corn to the north of this finger quite a ways, and we, we come into this river bottom ground on the north side, um, and we, we're, we're looking around, we're looking around, and we're just like, man, we're just not seeing – anything that looks promising we're kind of like looking for a place to hang our stand but we're kind of sneaking around at the same time because we feel like they may be bedded close the problem that we had when we got there was like what you see for terrain on an aerial photo isn't always match up to like what it looks like when you actually put boots on the ground so it was a really deep cut this 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 finger wasn't just like a flat finger of grass like it was deep cut and we couldn't see all of it and then it's got this weird green weed that grows like six feet tall that you can't see over and so we we're kind of just standing there thinking what we should do uh we found a deer bed in this real tall stuff and we were kind of like cozied up kind of tucked into this these weeds just kind of glassing this finger to see if we could maybe see a deer bedded in it before we proceeded before we like went out into the open and exposed ourselves we wanted to make sure there were no deer that we were going to bust out of there so we're kind of standing there glassing and all of a sudden dude wouldn't you know it that big buck stands up and he's like 60 yards, 50 yards in front of us. And all of a sudden Todd's like, you know, shitting a brick. He's like, there he is. He literally just must've just stood up out of his bed. And like, there's these, you know, the terrain, there's little humps that we can't quite see over. All of a sudden he just popped up from behind one of them. So, you know, we go into panic mode. I'm trying to get the camera. He's trying to get his bow and the deer kind of just dipped into the cornfield where we couldn't see him anymore. And we were like, okay, you know, maybe he's just going to go in there and feed for a while and then come back or whatever. So we ended up just basically saying, we're going to stay put. So we, what time of day off. was that? What time of day? Dude, it was, it was five o'clock, five o'clock, okay. five fifteen. I mean, it was three hours before dark. We were not expecting to see that deer on his feet. Yeah. He wasn't spooked. He didn't, he didn't have his tail up. He didn't act afraid. Like he just was walking and went into the corn. And so we were kind of hopeful that maybe he was going to come back. So we ended up basically ditching all of our gear, making a makeshift little ground blind kind of set up in this, these tall ass weeds that just absolutely destroyed my allergies. I was like 
dying. I was sneezing and coughing, and it was thank God it was windy, or I would have blown out every deer on the on the property. So we end up sitting there till dark. The deer does not come back, but we end up seeing, I think five other deer came out of that that finger, three bucks and two does that night. And we watched every one of them kind of go on the opposite side of this cut from us and work up along the cornfield edge and head toward where the big one had gone the, when we saw him, towards yeah. that other tree stand. So we we're like, okay, well, if that's what they're doing, like, that's where we need to be tomorrow night. So the next night was our very last night. So we um, got all, did we freaking showered and washed all of our gear and Todd shot his bow and we freaking loaded a couple stands on our backs and hiked, you know, over a half mile through standing corn and weeds and walked up this creek bottom. Dude, it was the most like epic, like in your mind setup ever. Like <laughs> the we perfect are going access to, route, everything. Like, dude, everything was perfect. We get in there, we find the perfect tree. It's going to be like an eight yard shot when they come through. Right. And dude, wouldn't you know it? Of all the damn farm fields in Nebraska, the farmer is combining the oh. field that we are hunting. And we, dude, our hearts just like sank. Like Did it we kick were up any our, deer? Well, dude, no, what we didn't, we couldn't see this spot gotcha. from where we began to walk in. So we didn't see that he was combining until we got in there. And we were just like, are you shitting me? Yeah. You know, and the problem is like, I, I agree with a lot of people that combines don't necessarily spook deer. But the problem is, like, this little teeny finger, like, it's only made really good and safe and secure when there's corn all the way around it. Once that corn comes out, dude, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And he was literally combining within feet of where this deer had been bedded the the night before. Yeah. And where these other deer had, like, literally feet. So I was like, you know, we're like, shit, you know, what do we do? We're this far invested. We're sweaty as hell. Like, let's screw it. We threw the stands up, we got everything ready. And we're like, you know, maybe he didn't spook. Maybe he just held tight, you know, and he's going to come through and as fate would have it, we didn't see a damn deer that night. Nothing, nothing came out. And that was the end of the hunt. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. I feel like when you're hunting whitetails, especially when you travel, it always, it always feels like it takes a few days to figure them out and really start getting on them and getting close. You know, and when we finally felt like we were really in the money, you know, we just, uh, it's just bad luck. Yeah. You know, the farmer owns thousands of acres of cornfields and decided for the first one, that was going to be the one that he took out. Was that on the property that you, like the outfitter didn't say to the farmer, hey man, we got some guys in there? Dude, I didn't think any, I mean... It never crossed any of our mind ever. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't have any idea. I mean, he didn't know anybody was going to combine. I mean, it was, it was really nobody's fault. Yeah. You know, it is. It is what it is. Yeah. So Todd's like hell bent to try to get back for like another two or three days, um, sometime in October, yeah. like mid October. And he, you know, we know there's a couple shooters on that farm, and it's a great play. It lays out really good to hunt. They've killed good deer off it in the past. So he's kind of like hell bent to get back there when when time's a little bit better for hunting and more conducive to deer movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know if he's going to go back or not. I'm not, I'm, I'm homeward bound for, for the duration. You know, I'm, I'm in Illinois until, until I kill two bucks this fall. So maybe he'll get back, maybe not, but man, it was a, it was a hell of an adventure. It was fun. You know, it was fun just kind of playing cat and mouse and trying to figure out that new piece of property and new terrain and area we've never hunted before. Yeah. So, 
it was a good time. I can't complain. Yeah, that's definitely uh, it's cool. It's just a cool story, right? Well, uh, this uh, elk camp got COVID, and so you flip it and you end up hunting deer, and you had a really good experience. Unfortunately, it didn't end with a a kill, but um, it sounds like uh, you guys had a good time, and it's it's always a little bit better of an experience when you have something to chase and focus on too, right? Sure. So, yeah. so while you were there, I, I caught one of your, uh, Instagram posts and it says, meanwhile, in Illinois, you must have a trail camera, <laughs> uh, a trail camera out, cell cam, cell cam yeah. and you caught a big deer on it. Is this, do you have history with this buck? Yeah. Um, so that particular deer is actually a ginormous three-year-old that I fully intend on shooting this fall. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we don't have a ton of history with him. He showed up uh, last year. He was a big two-year-old. We actually mistook him for an older deer that we were looking for on our farm that had kind of disappeared. And the first couple pictures we got him were, like, real close up, and they had very similar rack characteristics. So we thought it was this, uh, this other deer that we were calling Flanagan was his name. I couldn't even remember the damn deer's name. We thought it was this deer we were calling Flanagan. As we got more pictures of him, we're like, dude, that's def- number one. It's definitely not him from the rack. And number two, like, that's a super young deer. Like, he had a super spindly little neck and a little body and not a lot of mass last year. But he was a good, you know, long times and a lot of them. Uh, so we actually started calling him the imposter because we thought that he was this other deer at first. So, um my buddy Mike found, uh, I think, just one of his sheds last year. He had broken a bunch of tines off, and, you know, it's the same old story. You know, you see a giant stud two-year-old, and you're like, man, if that deer can live another couple years, he's going to be huge. And sure enough, this year as a three-year-old, you know, he blows up. And, you know, the picture I posted, you know, obviously it was a, a, a glamour shot of him, you know, kind of at that right angle to make him look like he's a 190 when he's probably high 50s, low 60s, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, but still a dandy, the absolute dandy deer. Um, you know, the thing is on this particular farm, like in the last couple of years, we've had two mega giant three-year-olds. This will be our third one. And we've, we've passed them both. And uh, the neighbor killed one and the other one disappeared the next year as a four-year-old, never to be seen again. So we're kind of <laughs> like, we tried that. <laughs> we've passed 160 inch three-year-olds before and it hasn't worked out in our favor yet. So I'm not passing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically my thought process for this year. Yeah. I love it how, you know, it's, it's cool that you're doing this to, and, and for everybody who's listening right now is you've learned and you've understood your environment, your environment. It's very hard, very hard to get to a four-year-old. Uh, on yep. the on, in the areas that you hunt, it sounds like there's other guys who are after big deer too, and you've tried to you've tried to to do it, and it's been unsuccessful for you know a handful of years, and so now you've realized, hey man, this is uh, I need to change I need to change the game just a little bit for this area, and you know it, dude, there's yeah. nothing wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with shooting a uh, quote unquote young deer or a three-year-old or one just oh, for dude, antlers are you kidding me yeah. i am the king of shooting three-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i love it you know the one that i passed a couple years ago some one of my guys in the office dug up the footage of it and like posted it on our instagram story the other day and i caught a new wave of shit from people for passing that deer 
you know, but even to this day, like it doesn't bother me. I see the video and it's like, I knew going into that season, I did not want to shoot that deer. So when I saw him, there was no part of me that was like, Oh man, I really want to shoot him. You know, I never even picked up my bow when he came, when he came by me and, you know, he was probably pushing 160 inch, you know, 10 point. But the next year he blew into a mid one nineties and, you know, unfortunately the neighbor killed him, but it is what it is. I knew the minute that I passed him that like, there's no guarantee that he's not going to get killed by someone else or hit by a car or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it's just part of the game. But like you said, man, you know, you just have to make a decision kind of for yourself personally, one way or the other, you know, and if you're the kind of guy that wants to pass them so that they grow older, because like, that's your thing. Like, you know, more power to you, man. I, yeah. I'm all for it. For me, like on that farm, that's a huge deer, and I think he would look great on my wall. And uh, I would, I would absolutely love to shoot that deer. Absolutely. So you know, we've got a couple other older deer on that farm this year. None of them are as big, you know, score wise. We have a couple, probably five or six year old deer on that farm, but I don't think we have one that's going to get out of the 130s. Yeah. You know, and they're they're older, and I've, dude, I'll shoot them too. You know, it all just depends on which one I can get close enough to first. So, yeah, we'll see. I just got pictures of that deer again, I think, last night. Again, another sequence of pictures of him. And this time I got him kind of from the front as well as the side and the back. And he's a good-looking deer. I mean, he's a, he's a typical 11. He's a 6 by 5 And I, he's got a couple of little daggers on his bases that may score as well. I'm not sure. Um, but he's a hell of a nice deer. And if for some reason we don't kill him this year and he manages to live till next year, like, holy crap, he's going to be a freaking dandy. Yeah. Let me ask you this on, on that farm, uh, specifically, do you get very many bonus bucks, like a cruiser during the rut that just kind of goes, Oh, you know, where did he come from? Not many, Yeah. you know, I wish that I would get more of those. We had one last year that came through like November 12th or 15th. I don't know, something like that. But oddly enough, the same guy that ended up shooting the, the big one that I passed, he ended up shooting that bonus buck as well. But it was a bonus buck for us because we had never seen him, but he had been getting pictures of that deer all summer and all fall. And it actually told me about it because him and I talk, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And he's like, yeah, I got a good 12 pointer that I've been seeing. And he had sent me a trail camera picture of it. I'm like, Oh dude, that's a nice one. Uh, he ended up wandering through our farm one, one day last year and we got trail camera pictures of him, but he was already dead. By the time I checked those cameras, he had already gone back to his home area and gotten himself killed. Um, but no, man, we don't – like, I'll be honest with you. Most of the farms that I hunt, we don't get a lot of bonus bucks. Like, if I get one a year that passes through for a day or two, like, that's probably doing pretty good. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Is there – I mean, is this buck, this three-year-old that we're talking about, is he uh, a homebody or does he tend to roam? How often is he on, on your farm? You know, I don't, if I was to go by last year when he was a two-year-old, he was definitely a homebody. Um, what's going to happen this year, it's hard to say. Dude, it's a pretty big farm. It's a couple hundred acres. I only, I'm running literally two cameras on it right now. That's it. Um, it's been one of those summers for me where I'm just, you know, I haven't run a ton of cameras. I've just been, I've been busy, you know, just trying to do stuff with the family and the kids. And, and you know, I've done probably a little bit less deer stuff than normal. So uh, I've got two cameras out on that farm, and I know what deer are going to be there. So it'll be interesting to see because they definitely, like, as they age, they their behavior changes. But, like, those three-year-olds, like, let's face it, man, they're probably, like, 
some of the easier deer to kill. <laughs> they're old enough to be like big and impressive, but they're young enough to still be kind of stupid. Oh yeah, and move and, and move a lot. So you know, and that's why the last two really big three-year-olds that we've had on that farm, like we've had opportunities to kill them both, and we passed them. Yeah. So if, if this guy does anything like the last couple did, like hopefully he's a homebody, and you know one of us will get to kill him this fall. And like I said, if not, I'm not gonna not gonna cry about it, you know, because hopefully he'll be there next year. Right. And here, I wish four-year-olds would do what what three-year-olds, <laughs> three-year-olds do. do. Last year uh, on on my main farm, I rattled in. Man, you know, you see a deer in the distance. You're like, who is that rattle? Here he comes. I did that to a three-year-old last year, and he made it through this year to, again. And yep. he's 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 knocking on 170, I think, this year. And um, as a four-year-old, and I, you know, I passed him multiple times last year, and as a three-year-old, and I, I don't know what they go through. Something they go through some like mature change where they they just their whole their whole attitude changes at four four years old because i swear if i try to rattle him at him again he may not come in i mean he has to be at the right attitude as a four-year-old and uh i know where i'm gonna be on you know the early november this year to try to you know try to connect with him but i it's just you're you you say to yourself man this this three year old did this last year, and I've just had too many experiences where I think a four year old is going to do the same thing, and they just don't do that. Yeah, it's almost like they're different animals. It's right. crazy that one year of change in those animals that just makes a, a world of difference. Yeah. And I, and you know, a lot of it's probably you know, dude, it's probably just pressure, yeah. right? I mean, most of your bucks are getting killed probably at one, two, three years old. I mean, if they make yep. it to four. They, they are no stranger to hunting, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just a, a life experience type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the goal is, you know, to, to go hunt that same. The, do I think he's going to travel the same routes and, and be check the same bedding areas? Yes, I do. But I think he's going to be, you know, just like all, most four-year-olds, just a little bit more cautious in his daily, daily routine. Um, yeah. So other than Illinois – do you have any other like out of state hunts? You going to Wisconsin this year again? I'm done, man. I had uh I had Wyoming in, in August. I had the failed Colorado turned into Nebraska in September, and then it's Illinois from from here on out. I kinda promised the wife that I wasn't gonna get stupid and go do anything else. That's why Todd's like, We should go back to Nebraska. I'm like, No, dude, I am good. You know, I'm gonna spend a good chunk of my early part of October, my son wants to try to shoot a deer, you know, this fall. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to take him out a few times. He's been practicing. We got the crossbow all set up and the ground blind and everything. And I got a plethora of like year and a half old deer on two of my farms. Like they're all still kind of grouped up like three and four at a clip. So I'm going to try to, uh, you know, he wants to go try to shoot a deer and he's gung ho. So we're going to maybe spend some time in early October doing that. And then I'm just going to focus on trying to kill one of those bigger deer, you know, come, you know, mid to late October and on. So I am, I mean, unless for some reason I am ungodly fortunate and happen to kill two bucks in Illinois, you know, then I'll probably grab a Wisconsin tag and try my luck up there. 
Um, but if that does not happen, then yeah, I'm, I'm Illinois for the rest of the year. How many acres do you have access to? I mean, in, in uh, Illinois that you hunt? Maybe 800. Okay. Something like that in total. And that's split between three farms. And I have one farm that's really big. Um, and then I have two smaller, I have two like hundred acre farms gotcha. that I do a lot of hunting on and I have one really big one. So you can, and that really big, big ones got, you know, there's only two of us on it that, gotcha. that hunt it and it's bow and it's bow only. Yeah. But it's also the, the one that's got the least amount of deer. It's the hardest to hunt. It's, it's chock full of, of buckthorn. You can't see five feet in the woods at all in any direction. So it's a, uh, it's a challenging place to hunt. That's where that big three-year-old's at. So, gotcha. um, and, and luckily for me, that's a closer to home. That's 20, 25 minutes from home. So I'm planning on spending a few more nights in my own bed this fall than I normally do. <laughs> it, I, it's funny you bring that up because everybody's like, everybody complains. They're like, oh man, I'm so tired. The rut just drags me down. I'm so tired, you know, getting up so early, man, I get more sleep during the rut than I do on an average night at my house. And I don't have a toddler kicking me in my balls all night long. So uh, you guys let your kids sleep in your bed. Dude, Come on, I can't, I cannot. So, you know, if I'm awake or if he wakes me up, it's, you know, go, take him and go back to bed. But if he, he sneaks in without me waking up, if he's uh. already sleeping and he like starts to move over and I'm kind of in that halfway dazed sleep, then I'm just, I just go back to bed, but <laughs> it really, uh, it really wears on a guy. I'm starting to get a lot of gray hairs in my beard, Czar. Oh man. Well, we're in our forties now. I know. Johnson, so I that, know. That well, happens, hey, I'm not 40 yet, but. Oh, when are you, when is November 5th, be soon. November okay, 5th. I was going to say mine was like a month ago, just under a month ago. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So. You decided to stay close on your 40th year of life when it comes to hunting. So does that mean next fall you're going to... No, I wanted to go to a, on an elk hunt for my 40th year of hunting. I got gotcha. Or being alive. I got gotcha. And that failed. So, but I, part of the reason I'm staying home is just because I finally have some good deer close to home to right. chase. Right, right. Um, you know, my lease that... Dude, if I, if I... If I just didn't care about being gone all the time and my wife didn't care, like... I love hunting my, my lease that's more of, of a rural area where I can get away from people and traffic and barking animals and just, and like enjoy nature the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, hunting here locally, like it's not as fulfilling for me, but it also keeps me at home. I get to see my kids more. I keep my wife happier. And fortunately I have some good deer here to chase this year. Yeah. So I'm planning on spending a little bit more time. Not that I'm not going to go out West to my lease, because I certainly am going to spend some time out there. Uh, but it's also nice because, like, it allows me to not pressure that place early in the year and kind of save it for some of those, you know, three, four-day weekends during the rut when the hunting's really good. Right. Um, so it, it kind of works out pretty good for me. Cool, man. Well, let me wish you good luck on the rest of your fall. It's unfortunate Thanks. that your uh, elk Maybe. hunt uh, – that your elk hunt didn't work out, but it sounds like you had some fun yeah. in Nebraska. And uh, it's, it's 2020, dude. The world's going to shit. So <laughs> I expected nothing less than that. I don't even try to explain stuff to my kids anymore. Like if yeah. my if they are like, "Why does this happen?" I'm just like, "Magic. That's it's magic." 
There's no reason people to. People are it. crazy. Right. I do want to I want to talk about one thing before we before we wrap this up. Let's right? do it. Let's do it. Because th- this is something that I've caught maybe some heat for from people that I've argued Ooh, drama. With about. Ooh, drama. Um, well, no, and it's it's and you and I maybe have talked about this before, but it's shot distance at whitetail deer. Okay. Right? Like there's I don't want to say, we always use this phrase, like, there's nothing that makes me madder than this. Like, there's a lot of things that make me madder than this. The fact that my kids can't go back to school in person learning makes me madder than this. But when it comes to hunting, like, as a bow hunter, right? when I started bow hunting, dude, the magic number was 20 yards. Yep. That deer has got to be inside of 20 yards or you're not shooting. You didn't even think twice about it. I don't know how many deer passed by me at 30 yards as a young bow hunter that I was like, he's too far to shoot. Right. And as we've gotten older and, and I get it that our technology is better and whatnot, like that distance just keeps moving further and further and further and further. And I watch these guys, you know, whether they be on YouTube or have their own shows or whatever, and dude, they're shooting deer at 60 and 70 yards. And dude, I saw somebody shoot, I don't know, some sort of animal at like over a hundred yards with his bow. And I was like, Jesus Christ, why, why are you even a bow hunter at that point? Like, to me, the challenge used to be, like, the measure of your skill used to be how close can I get to an animal to kill it, right? And you prided yourself on your ability to get within 10, 12, 15, 20 yards. Like, that was what bow hunting was about. And now it's like it's shifted, and it's like there's no longer any sort of pride or sense of accomplishment in, like, how skilled of a hunter you are in terms of getting close to deer. Now it's just like, how good of an archer am I? And how far can I shoot a deer at? And now that's like the new badge of honor. And it's like, to me, it just seems backwards. I feel like there's this stupid ass trend of people like shooting deer at farther distances, which I think defeats the purpose of bow hunting to a certain degree. However, I also believe that everybody bow hunts for their own reasons. They can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Uh, But there comes a point where I feel like it's, getting to be unethical for for numerous reasons one of them being i've shot with a lot of people in my life dude most people can't shoot for shit over 40 yards i don't care what they say on the internet like dude you get over 40 yards in the woods the wind's blowing you got a wild animal your heart's going crazy you got a broadhead on like it's just a different thing than standing in your backyard shooting at 40 yards and most people that i've ever shot with and i've shot with some people that are good hunters good shots like over 40 yards man those groups start to open up and i get it that there's people out there that are gonna like ooh, not me man i'm the best yeah yeah good for you great but most people that i know shit most of them shouldn't even be shooting 40 yards some of the people that i know yeah you know so it's like i think people overestimate their shooting ability number one and then number two I think that there's there's so many variables in what can happen once you get past 40 yards. I mean, God dang it, there's leaves and twigs that you can't see, especially in low light. Those deer move awful freaking fast, you know. And Dude, they can duck an arrow at 30 yards. What do you think's happening at 50? Right. I shot a deer at 42 yards a couple of years ago. I didn't find it. I didn't, didn't kill it. That was the last deer I shot that I will shoot over 40 yards but dude he moved probably 16 inches before my arrow got to where it eventually hit him at you know so when this big deer came out and the reason for my little rant here is like this was a giant deer i don't know if he's 170 180 dude i don't know he's big i've got him at 55 let's just say broadside in the wide open there's nothing between me and him but air 
He's looking the other way. He's a monster, dude. He's 250-plus pounds. I got a fairly big kill zone, and I, and I didn't shoot because I was like, that number, like, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that when they get those opportunities, especially the bigger the deer is, the more risks they're willing to take. Yeah. You know, because they're seeking that glory. Everybody wants that Facebook like, the Instagram heart, whatever. Like, they want that pat on the back. They want that grip and grin photo where that's them with the big buck. And, like, how they got it doesn't matter, right? At the point that you've it's dead and it's on the ground, provided you are able to kill it and find it, and you throw that photo up there, like, nobody asks, like, how far was it? Where did you hit it? How long did it take you to recover it? Like, all they want is that, hell yeah, man, awesome buck. Look at me, I'm an awesome hunter. And I just, like, that's not me as a person. And sometimes I think because I I or we as a group kind of get lumped into these, you know, whether you want to call it professional hunters or celebrity hunters or whatever, just because you have a show and you've achieved some measure of commercial success that, like, people lump you into this group where like you guys are a bunch of sellouts. You only do it for the money. You only do it for the sponsorships and you'll kill big deer at all costs, no matter what it takes, because it's all about this thing. Like that pisses me off because I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. And I think people are going to see like when they eventually watch this video, dude, the deer's right there in front of me. Like yeah. I could have shot it all How far? day long, but like 54, 50, the closest he got was 52. That shot wouldn't have been the best. I probably had him at 55. 55, completely know, broadside. Broadside in the open, no idea. I'm there looking the other direction or hmm. feeding with his head down. But, like, I'm not confident enough in my ability. Dude, my heart was racing a million miles an hour. And I was like, God damn, the last thing I want to do is shoot this thing in the shoulder or freaking hay bag him or whatever. Like, I'm just like, that's not me. And I'm not willing to take that chance. You know, I want the deer closer because that's what bow hunting is to me. Yeah. Right? Does and, that change and, and if not, you have a crossbow in your hand? Because you, you use a crossbow, right? I don't think it does, dude. No. I, I mean, especially not in a tree stand. You guys ever shoot a crossbow out of a tree stand? It's a pain in the ass. Like, dude, unless I got something to anchor the crossbow on, like a, a lead sled or something, or a set of shooting sticks like a rifle, dude, trying to freehand a crossbow out of a tree stand at 55 yards, dude, I'm still not taking that shot. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Like, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, but I just, again, I think that there's this common misperception of people that, like, film hunt or do anything hunting commercially, and we make money through selling advertisements or sponsorships that, like, our only goal is to get more money and be more famous and have more Facebook likes. And you know what? For some people, that's probably true. It probably is. But, like, for me, that's never been what this is all about. This has just been about because I love hunting, and these are my standards that I hold myself to, and I'm not going to take a shot that I don't feel confident in just because I want to get my face on the freaking next Matthews catalog. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that, yeah. you know. So, I, but, but, again, like, the shot distance thing, like, I think everybody should have a limit in their head when they go out, and they should adhere to that limit. Right. You should know before you go in the woods, like, this is my limit. And I hate when people say, well, my limit is different depending on is it windy? Is it rainy? How big is the buck? Is he alert? Is he not alert? Is he feeding? Like, there's so many factors. And people are like, well, if this, then my limit's that. If this, then that. And I just think, like, for me, and I think a lot of people would benefit for it, they just need to pick the number that they're confident, like, 
100% of the time I can make a good shot and it's going to be ethical and it presents me the highest likelihood of making a kill. And anything under that, I'm shooting. Anything over that, I'm not shooting. And it pisses me off when I say, like, well, my limit's 40 yards. And people say, well, what if the deer's at 41, Justin? What are you, <laughs> you going to do? What if he's at 42? And it's like, well, you got to draw the line somewhere because then if I say, okay, fine, 42, I'm shooting. Well, what if he's at 43? It's like, well, I could play that game all day long yeah. until we're at 100 yards, you know. So, you know, 40 is my number. That's where I want to be. Preferably I want him under 20, man. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's that's what bow hunting is to me. Yeah. I just don't – such a strange world we live in i feel like bow hunters nowadays look to their gear to make them a better hunter more than they look at themselves to become a better hunter right like everybody's always looking for the next silver bullet what's gonna help me whether it's a call or a scent or a 800 grain arrow with the stupid ass 50 dollar broadhead on the front of it like none of that shit means anything unless you can get close enough to an animal that you want to kill to shoot it like if everybody just focused on that and stopped worrying so much about obsessing over every little piece of equipment that's going to give them the finer edge like they'd all be killing a lot more deer that's my rant i'm done (laughs) i like rants especially when you i need a white i need a white claw i need a white claw (laughs) honey give me a white claw I did. I, I like that rant because some people rant. They don't have anything really to back it up with. You, you know, you you presented some valid points. Fifty four yards, fifty five yards, complete broadside on a giant whitetail, and it really doesn't like. If it was a doe, I probably wouldn't take that shot. But if I felt like the conditions were right, I dude, I, I might, I might take a fifty five yard shot on a whitetail. With that said, I don't have any of my tree stands these days okay in a place stop you there okay stop you there okay what if you were filming your hunt still and you had to show that hunt to everybody in the world no i number one i wouldn't have that i wouldn't have it on like there's just too much that can go that can go wrong when you're filming your hunts i'm i but what if but i had a camera guy i mean literally todd was sitting in the tree stand next to me filming yeah. Right. But 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 does it affect your decision? Because I think for a lot of people out there, like nobody ever needs to know the real story. Right. Right. That's just them in the deer. Yeah. So they're willing to do shit and then they lie about it or they don't tell you the whole story. Absolutely. You know, because there's nobody else there. But like when that camera's rolling and part of my livelihood is derived from creating this content and I'm not the kind of person that's going to pull punches or not show you something. Yeah. Right. And I guarantee there's plenty of dudes out there doing the same thing that I'm doing that have made those shots and made those decisions and not been on the positive end of it. Oh, dude. And that footage, and that footage never sees the light of day. Yep, I, I 100% agree. And here's where it gets crazy. Because uh, 2018, when it took me, you know, I, I had a real hard quartering away shot on the buck that I killed, right? I hit him back. Uh, I eventually found him, recovered him, and I still, this last week, I still am getting Instagram uh, messages from people telling me that what I did was unethical. 
and that they, yeah. they no longer want to listen to my they they've stopped listening to my podcast because of that unethical shot and it's it comes to a point where you're just like i don't even want to talk about it anymore because i'm annoyed with what i have to do i've i shared my truth i've told my story i have um you know this stuff happens to people every single year whether this deer and i shot this deer at like oh, man i forget but it was like 12 yards Right. Or, right. or maybe 22 yards. Or something. I can't remember, but it was, he was close and I, I was off a little bit and that sucks. And I'm sorry, but I, I guess I have a little bit more of a killer mentality than, uh, than, than some people. And you can take this, you can take this a thousand different directions and you start talking about what is an ethical shot. What is, you know, what is this? An ethical shot should be something that kills an animal in, in, in a roundabout way, like, right, I'm not planning on gut shooting a, uh, a deer and then finding him, you know, when the, <laughs> in, while I'm shed hunting, right? Right. You know, I don't, I don't go out and do that, but sometimes shit goes wrong, right? And, and that, that reason right there, it just like, and you take someone in the hunting industry I mean, you have way more like bowhunting.com has way more uh, attention on them than what I do. And, you know, I'm sure that if one of your guys or you or, or uh, Todd put a bad hit on an animal, even you guys would get shit. But it's the truth. Right. And oh I have my God, are you kidding me. Yeah. I get shit even when I make a good shot. of an animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the Internet. For right. You, dude. Everybody's right. looking to just ticket every decision that you make I right. mean, this is the world we live in and but coming back yeah. wait one sec coming back to what you said about this this really short attention span that we all have who there's a group of people who are all they want to do it just for the the short-term attention right this is where i think we as the hunting industry need to do a better job not just the hunting industry but the hunting community we need to put more context between, you know, about when we kill an animal, like when, when Joe Schmo on the, you know, on the hunting, um, channel kills a deer and it's literally a trophy, you know, it's, it's them holding their deer smile and it just says big buck in the dirt. And then it's just all of their sponsors tagged. That pisses me off too, because what is the story? What's the story behind that? All I see is a dead, a dead animal, a dead deer, and a whole bunch of sponsors that have been tagged. I mean, mm-hmm. I do that too, but my goal is to explain to the people who view that content of what you know what's going on. That there there is more than just a camera click that went into shooting this buck. Right? I had to hike in. I had to set up a tree stand. I ran trail cameras. I had to take that tree stand down. I had to move it. Or in whatever world these people live in it's i had to plant this food plot i had to move this blind i had to you know shit we had a whole bunch of dry weather this food plot didn't come up oh finally we got rain by the grace of god and and you know all these things it's just we're missing the explanation behind killing a deer and i think that just leaves so much blank uh blank space on a page for the 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 dickheads to fill in with their own agenda and their own content right and when 
when when they do that, it just it just opens the door up for more negativity within the hunting community. Yeah, you know, the unfortunate thing, and I agree with what you're saying, but I, unfortunately, I think if you were to step back, even from just looking at this as a hunting community thing, dude, it's a societal problem. Oh, absolutely. It's it's social media in yeah. general. Like that's what that's what this is. I mean, social media. Like, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I don't know. Like. I've had a few people that noticed, but I mean, I just completely dipped off of social media months ago and just, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. I updated Instagram and stuff when we were on our hunt. Um, you know, it was a, it was a business hunt and I had an obligation to, you know, produce some content and whatnot, but like for my personal life, like what Justin is doing every day, like I'm out, I'm gone. See you later. I think social media is going to be the end of, (laughs) <laughs> the world as we know it i just think it's an absolutely terrible thing i think it's responsible for anxiety depression all the tribalism we're seeing dude the, the riots and shootings and like everything is so ungodly fueled by the bits and pieces of misinformation that we get on social media you know i just i just think it's a societal issue you know yeah. that's tr- it transcends hunting but yes i mean a great example i mean the problem with social media is it's the highlights of everybody's lives. Yeah. You know, it's literally only the best parts of everybody's lives cherry picked for everybody else to see. Um, and it's not a real representation of, of real life. And I think the the single trophy photo of the big buck is the, is the exact representation of that. Yeah. You don't know what happened behind it. And I think there are a lot of folks that will take long shots, bad shots, trespass, do things they're not supposed to, bait illegally, whatever, for that glory. For yeah. those those like there's got there's and people I, I in court a, for that like going through the the judicial process for that right now sure. who are quote unquote yeah. figureheads of the hunting industry. Yep, and you uh, are absolutely correct, and it's a it's a damn shame. Yep. you know that that it has to be that way. So I mean, for me, man, I'm just gonna go hunt. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna enjoy time with with my buddies, with my my kids. I'm going to hope to kill some stuff and have a good time doing it. And I'm sure I will when, if, and when it happens, it'll, it'll get up on social. I do have, you know, a business kind of obligation that I need to fulfill in terms of, you know, I can't, I can't go entirely away, unfortunately, as much as I would like to. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I've, I've taken a break from social media and I feel like my life is better for it. I've read a lot more books in the last few months. My screen time is down on my phone. I bought a boat this spring. I've been fishing like, every chance I can get. And, uh, it's been my life. I feel like is better yeah. without Facebook. I can't wait till I can sell the sportsman's nation. What what would you value the sportsman's nation at? Like 1.2 billion? Approximately. Probably, probably billion. That was the first number. Yeah. I'll call Warren Buffett. We'll, we'll get him to we'll buy it. Get it. Yeah. Get him involved. Me and me and, me and Warren are, we're bros. Yeah. We go yeah. way back. Well, anyway, my, my so. whole point there is when I become a, a billionaire, let's just be honest it's probably worth 900 million okay anyway whatever yeah. it's not the billion but anyway i'll disappear and no one will ever see me again or like no one will ever hear from me on social media again i'll probably still live in the same house to be honest with you but uh you just i would pay somebody to run my social for me <laughs> turn it into dan blazarian like a real celebrity <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna pay Dan to run your social? Voice? No, no, no. I I'm gonna make my life look like Dan Blazarian's oh, life. Just, just weed and hose and bikinis. <laughs> weed and hose. Man, that sounds like a rap album. 
That sounds like a great life. Oh, maybe me and you could do a collab. Oh, let's collab. Weed, weed and hose. You know, it's funny story about <laughs> weed, dude. There is ditch weeds growing everywhere in Nebraska. Yeah. And in Kansas, too. But, like, so our buddy Josh came with us on this hunt in the first night. Like, the first walk out, I was like, dude, there's freaking ditch weed everywhere. Like, it literally everywhere you look. Josh texts me, like, halfway through the night. He's like, man, there is marijuana growing right outside of this blind that I'm in. <laughs> and I was like, well, you better grab some and bring it back for us to the cabin tonight, dude. We could pay for this whole trip. You I... know, so he ended up, like, grabbing a piece and bringing it back. I'm like, you do know that's ditch weed, right? He's like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, driving through Colorado uh, last year, well, a- even – even this year when me and my wife went out on a vacation out there, they have fields of marijuana in Colorado, like soybean fields here in Iowa. Like, Do they have, do they have to have it like arm guarded or something? Like don't the people stuff, just take it? The stuff that I saw did not look like it even had a fence around it. I wonder if it's just for like CBD or something. It could, I mean, it could, it could be. I don't know. I, it could be, but... It grows. Grab right. some next time you're there. Yeah, you'll probably get sniped by somebody in a <laughs> from a drone. Right. You know, <laughs> they watching their their weed fields. That's hilarious. Uh, well, before this gets too much further off the deep end, I'm gonna shut her down, Zar. And uh, good, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time, and good luck the rest of the season. Thanks, man. You too. Huge shout out to Justin. Thanks for taking time, bud, and uh, coming on and BSing with me. And uh, good luck to you. Good luck to all of the people who are listening to this episode, following along on the Nine Finger Chronicles. Man, I really love the support that you guys give me through Instagram and Facebook. Thank you very much. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, hit me up uh, via social or leave a review somewhere or check me, you know, go to the Sportsman's Nation email address. Other than that, huge shout out to our partners at the uh, uh, Nine Finger Chronicles because without them, this isn't possible. Average conservationists love their apparel. Vortex Optics, you guys should know by now, one of the elite optics companies in the industry ozonics you guys have heard me talk about them today already wasp broadheads (laughs) they slay uh lone wolf portable tree stands i'm mobile so that's that's made in america blah 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 best tree stand on the market thank you guys very much thank you thank you thank you i'm excited i got i i don't know how to say it so i'm just going to say it the only way that i know how to good luck this fall to all of you and please be safe because there's nothing more important than your life so hunt with a hunt with a safety harness period hunt with a safety harness if you're clumsy hunt with a safety harness in a ground blind too but i'm serious hunt with a safety harness have a good one and we'll talk to you next week